Hey, caffeinators. Welcome to the Vet Tech Cafe. The Vet Tech Cafe is a podcast centered around veterinary technicians and nurses, hosted by myself, Dave Cowan, and my good friend, Jeff Backus. We strive to discuss current issues facing our profession and give our colleagues a voice and a medium to enter into these discussions. Our guests are experts in the veterinary field that we hope can help our listeners work towards dealing with these issues, as well as coming up with solutions that can lead to change. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on the Vet Tech Cafe, please contact us at vettechcafe at gmail.com, or you can find us at our website, vettechcafe.com. One thing we would ask of you, our listeners, is to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. We're not exactly sure how or why this helps us, but apparently it does. So without further ado, come on in, grab yourself a cup of coffee, and get ready for another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe. Hello, caffeinators. Welcome back to the Vet Tech Cafe, where thanks to Dave, we only play Christmas music after Thanksgiving. <laughs> Dave, uh, how's it going out there? It's going good. I just got back from a, a little mini vacation, you know, with Thanksgiving yeah. and uh, spent some time out in the mountains and took a little couple day trip into Charlotte. So back and refreshed. How are you guys doing out there? Perfect weather, I'm assuming. Yeah, it's it's still a little on the warm side for me in early December, but it's kind of cool today. So that's that's at least kind of nice. But uh, but yeah, I'm glad you got away for a few days. Yeah. And we didn't even talk about podcast stuff while you were gone. That was good. You got you actually got away. I did. We had that like one conversation on Sunday about the episode that was uploading. But other than that, completely yeah. free of, of thinking anything veterinary related. So I had I had a veterinary free weekend. Very nice, very nice. Well deserved. Well deserved. Thank you. We should uh, we should mention we have, and I think the the course is opening soon. We have our VSPN, uh, the fluid series yep. coming up in January. You're doing a, a talk on transfusions, and I have fluid therapy. Mm-hmm. Do you remember when registration opens for that? Is it already open? We got the email from VSPN saying that it was uh, available. Uh, I don't know if okay. you can sign up for it yet. Probably by the time okay. this episode uploads, it will be available. Yeah, yeah. and you know we will po- we'll post a link to that. When, it, when it's yeah, being, when it's sure. available for everybody. For sure. And we'll have it up on our website, uh, vettechcafe.com. We'll have a link there too. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And so, we've got some, so uh, are, we, are we saying what we have? We have some freebies to give away for that? Yeah, we do. We have a couple of registrations for each of us to, to give away. So um, we're working with Dog Days, who does all of our social media to, to get some fun contests together. Yeah. So Keep an eye out for that over the next couple of weeks, or maybe again, like you said, by the time this episode uploads, maybe that'll be rolled out. Could but, be, yeah, yeah. So, so look forward to that. And um, I can't believe it's already December, and and we're we're closing in on on another new year. Yeah, wh- where did the like where did the year go? So, <laughs> I mean, so much has happened, but like it went by so fast. I think absolutely, absolutely. Well. Um, what do you think? Should we just uh, head on into today's episode? Yeah, this is a, this is kind of a, a long overdue. Like, yeah. like this guest was one of the one of the few that we one listed. Of the first ones we yeah we yeah, should one we of the first ones first we had on our list. <laughs> we're now just getting around to it. And, and I asked you, you know, before we came on the air, like, who is your idol in veterinary medicine? And, and for me, this this guest today's guest is it. Yeah, um, you know, when I when I think about our profession, and then you know, a little more narrow, our little niche of of emergency and critical care. How how can you not think of, right. of Harold Davis? Right. So so Harold, if if you're not familiar with Harold, first of all, what what rock have you been living under? But <laughs> um, Harold is a graduate of uh, Cal State University, Sacramento, and has been in the veterinary profession for 45 years, 42 of those being a credentialed what used to be in California the animal health technician, and then the the RVT registered veterinary technician. And currently is a veterinary practice educational consultant and the former manager of the uh, emergency and critical care service at the University of California, Davis, the William R. Pritchard Veterinary Medical Teaching Hospital and retiring in 2018 after 36 years of service, which that's another just phenomenal thing. We don't often think about tech technicians I know. retiring like uh, you know we talk so much about the the, sh- the short shelf life of yeah. veterinary technicians it's it's amazing to hear of a, a veterinary technician actually retiring from the profession someday buddy we'll be there someday yeah right right <laughs> and um, and he was co-founder of the academy of veterinary emergency and critical care technicians he was instrumental in obtaining the provisional recognition for technicians as specialists from what is now NAVTA, the National Association of Veterinary Technicians in America. Um, and it was the first organization to receive that acceptance. And he's also a charter member of the Academy of Veterinary Technicians in Anesthesia and Analgesia. 
he's the past president of the Veterinary Emergency and Critical Care Society, or VEX, um, which he is also the first non-veterinarian elected to that position. And it's over a 5,000-member organization, so so super cool. Currently, is the uh, president-elect uh, of the board of directors for the North American Veterinary Community, and he's on the board of directors for NAVTA, currently serving as the treasurer. He's published several book chapters, peer-reviewed journal articles, and is currently co-editing. Dave, you, you know this, when we were going through our application and, and study process, the um, the advanced monitoring and procedures for small animal emergency and critical care, that was yeah. that was our study Bible. Yeah. So, and I, um, <laughs> I, I take that with me everywhere. I, I still take that to yeah. clinics. I, I had that actually at the um, at the IVEX, the Avectin Skills Lab I was doing this year for the yeah. ventilator session. I had that book open and was using it as a reference through that session. That is, so, that is my most Harold, reference book, easily. <laughs> Harold, without further ado, thank you so much for taking some time out to come by the Vet Tech Cafe. I don't know if you're a coffee drinker, but if you are, what can we get you for a cup of coffee or caffeinated beverage of choice? Actually, my caffeinated beverage of choice is a Coke Zero. Okay. Oh, all right. All right. We can put a, we can put some carbonated beverages <laughs> yeah. on the menu. We'll get some of that. So I know I kind of hit some of the, the highlights of, of your career there, but if you don't mind, just take a few minutes and kind of take us through your career path. What got you into veterinary medicine? Some of the stops along the way that got to where you were at, at UC Davis and, and where you are now. Well, I think it all started when I had a dog growing up and it seemed like there was one summer I was taking him to the veterinary hospital every other week with various problems. And I kind of got interested in veterinary medicine from that. I'd always had an interest in medicine and I liked animals and I had a few pets growing up. So I think the combination of animals and medicine, veterinary medicine seemed like a pretty reasonable choice. So in my senior year in high school, I worked at the Humane Society as a veterinary assistant. And actually that was part of a uh, work study program where I went a couple days a week and would spend time in the hospital and learning about the, about the profession that way. I kind of lucked out at the end of the semester, they actually offered me a job for the summer. I actually went on beyond the summer as a veterinary assistant. You know, I did those things like I did a lot of washing of syringes over and over and over. <laughs> Although I, I do, I, I'm going to have to admit, I can admit it now because that was 40 some odd years ago. A lot of them ended up in the trash too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that's a good timestamp for, for, for when that was. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's, I did some of the basic things, but they actually did offer me a position through the summer. Also at the same time, one of the technicians worked in an emergency clinic and he couldn't do his Friday night graveyard shift anymore. And they offered it to me. So, I mean, can you imagine a 19-year-old working in an emergency clinic? When I look back at the things I did, it's like, I wouldn't have a 19-year-old working yeah. in practice. <laughs> but, and that's how it worked out. But actually, I worked through there through first part of college. And after I'd been there actually two years, the grandfather clause for being an AHT was coming to a close. You mentioned AHT is what we were called early in the profession. And so the grandfather clause is coming to a close. You could go to school like you do now, or you could grandfather in in the state of California. And what that meant was you had to work three years full-time work experience, and then you'd be eligible to sit for the exam, but you'd have to take the state exam. Well, I didn't have the time requirement that was expected. I had maybe a year, year and a half of full-time work experience. So I petitioned to the veterinary medical board and said, look, I'm in college. I've taken hematology, I've taken bacteriology or microbiology and some other sciences, and I had this work experience. Would you consider allowing me to sit for the exam? And lo and behold, I lucked out. They did. Wow. So um, I was eligible to sit for the exam. I was fortunate enough to work with a couple of veterinarians who helped me study and prepare for it. The other thing I did was I um, attended the local tech association meetings because there are a lot of techs in the area that were trying to get in through the grandfather clause. So the association actually had CE seminars each month, kind of geared towards those people taking the exam. Mm. So I did that, sat, sat the exam and passed it the first try, much to the chagrin of the coworkers at the Humane <laughs> Society, because there were several <laughs> techs who had actually worked, taken the exam several times and I did it the first <laughs> try. And it didn't help that the head veterinarian made a big deal out of it and said, well, I'm taking Harold out to lunch for <laughs> a big lunch to celebrate <laughs> and you're not invited. <laughs> and so, uh, so I did that. And then a couple years later, I went over to an emergency clinic where ultimately I became a supervisor. I was there for a few years, 
And along about 1982, some friends of mine at UC Davis said, hey, there's a position open in the ICU. Has your name written all over it. You think you ought to, you ought to apply for it. And so I did. And I got the position. So I ended up at UC Davis. The first 10 years I spent my time in the ICU, at the end of the first 10 years, I was approached by faculty and administration to head up and develop a new class for the veterinary students. Uh, it was called the Clinical Practices Course. And it's for students in the first through the third year of veterinary school. And the whole idea for the course was to prepare those students and get them ready for their fourth year, which was the clinical year. So that when they got into the hospital, they had an idea how to function and didn't have to worry about, well, how do I fill out a pharmacy prescription? How do I get radiographs yeah. taken? Those types of things. You know, how do I place an IV catheter? That's what we taught. So I did that for 13 years. And then, well, I actually, while well, I did that too, I managed to manage the emergency service technicians. So after doing that for 13 years, I was asked if I would manage the emergency critical care service. So for my last 13 years at UC Davis, I was back managing emergency critical care service. And uh, that's where I ended up at the end of 36 years. Wow. Now, during that time, I, I was also involved in various organizations serving on, as officers and board of directors. I was uh, appointed by the governor of California to serve on the California AHT exam committee, which became the RBT examination committee. We were responsible for developing the exam in California, and that was a subcommittee of the Veterinary Medical Board. I worked with VEX for many years, the North American Veterinary Community. I've served on various program committees for different conferences like uh, AHA, ACVIM, VEX, and lectured internationally. And that's kind of where I've ended up. Nice. Uh, you know, one question I have in there. So you said uh, with you being on the appointed to the what was the uh, RVT committee at the time and developing the the examination? The examination you took was that the the same exam or did it go through a different iteration? And that's what you were were developing, or were you just kind of updating it, if you will? Yeah, well, I took it in seventy eight, and so this is like almost so geez, so almost ten years later that I served on that committee. So it went through some variations. I think early on when I took the exam, it was kind of put together, kind of a hodgepodge, but by the time I got to the exam committee, we were actually having professional exam consultants who actually worked with us where they helped us develop exam questions. We brought in subject matter experts, veterinarians and technicians to write the exam. And um, we did exam ratings. And actually one of the things we did too was something called a job validity study. And that is where we actually looked at the profession, looked at the tasks that were being done by technicians so that we could prepare an exam that would meet a day one technician in practice. And so mm. I don't think that was done when I took the exam. And so there was a lot of uh, preparation in, involved with that. Gotcha. And Harold, you you know, we, we talked about this early on, how, how you were kind of our, our veterinary technician idols kind of growing up, if you if you will. Who in your career has inspired you? Who who led you down the path of saying, this is really what I want to do and, 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 and kind of got you on the right path? Oh, Wow. That's a tough one because <laughs> I've been fortunate because I've worked in practices where the veterinarians were very supportive and mm. they encouraged technicians to find their niche and develop it. For example, when I was in the emergency clinic early on, there was a veterinarian who said, so what, what interests you? And I said, ECGs. I want to learn how to read ECGs. And he said, okay, we're going to do that. And so it got to the point where if there was a good cardiology case that would come in, he'd call me up at home and say, hey, Harold, I got a great case. This is what it's about. When you're here, let's go over the ECGs. And but I've also worked with other veterinarians at the university. And I, if I had to say one person, I'd have to say Steve Haskins. Mm. Dr. Steve mm. Haskins was an internationally known veterinarian in emergency critical care and anesthesia. And I learned a lot from him. And I think he really kind of narrowed my focus, set me on the right track. And he was the one who actually got me to do lecturing. Mm. I, I, had, I had a fear of lecturing. I didn't want to do it had no desire to do it. And he came to me and said, Hey, I've got to go give some lectures at a conference um, in Tennessee. I want you to go with me and talk to the technicians. You need to get six hours of lectures. And I said, Nope. <laughs> wait, wait, easy win slowly. <laughs> I said, Nope, not going to do it. He said, Oh, come on, Harold, you can do it. I said, Nope, Nope, Nope. This went on for like almost a month. And he finally wore me down. And he said, look, all I want you to do is what you do with the veterinary students every day. And, you know, that's just go over the principles of emergency critical care. He said, I'll help you. I'll work with you. 
preparing your slides, preparing your lecture notes. We'll practice, and I think you'll be all right. And I said, okay, if I end up on the ground in the fetal position, it's on you. <laughs> and he said, okay, I'm willing to take that chance. It's not going to happen. And uh, I did it, loved it, and still love doing it. Nice. So I'd have to say it was Steve Haskins, if, if you're going to make me pin it down to one person. <laughs> uh, Harold, Harold, my first introduction into you was, I, I can't remember what year it was, maybe 2008, 2009. And it was at the conference that was in Tampa, and I think that's NAVC or something, regardless. But the person that was supposed to give a talk on acid base, and this is before I was even like involved in ECC, and she was not going to be there. So you stepped in and gave the lecture, and maybe I'm glorifying the whole situation, but it seemed like you were giving her lecture without actually having seen it and like knocked it out of the park. And I was like, how did this guy give this talk on this subject that most of my veterinarians are like, I don't even want to look at that. And you just, <laughs> you just gave it on a whim. And like, it was one of the best lectures I, I went to that whole conference. Oh, how do you, you, how do you like get that into that recess and say, okay, this is something that I know. And I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go off and like, how do you have that much knowledge in your brain? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think part of it was, I mean, I worked at the university and so it's a teaching hospital. So you're kind of in that environment yeah. and being in emergency and critical care. We did a lot of acid base. We did blood gases. We did electrolytes. It's, it's just a daily thing. Mm -hmm. And it, we were the first ones who would typically see the results. And you run through your mind analyzing the results. And then you show them to the clinician and talk to the clinician about it. And so it was an acid base lecture, electrolyte lecture. It's something we did every day. So mm. it wasn't that big a deal, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it wasn't for you, I guess. But, but for all of us, we were like... Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Dave, along the same lines, I have a funny story to tell too. Uh, several years ago, this must have been, I, I want to say 2013, 2014, when um, CARFTA, we used to host or, or co-sponsor the, the UC Davis back to school seminar at UC Davis every every July. And it's where we did our, our RVT of the year presentation and all that fun stuff. And I was moderating and I was moderating for Harold. And it was the first time I had ever met him as well. And, and it was a, it was an easy, I think it was a GDV lecture. And, you know, as a moderator, you're supposed to do the, you know, five minute warning and, and, and what have you. And I'm thinking to myself the whole time, I can't cut Harold off. Like <laughs> I, I, I was so enthralled in the lecture and people were coming from the other lecture halls into the room to come into the next lecture. And I'm like, shoot, I've got to, I've got to stop this at some point. And thankfully he wrapped up and was done, but I, I, to this day, I I haven't moderated since because I did such a terrible job that day. But but I I I, I was so enthralled. I, I just I couldn't I couldn't stop. <laughs> uh, Harold, we we asked this question of, of all of our all of our guests now, and someone that's been in the field as long as you have and seen it from quote unquote its infancy up until up until now. How do you see the profession? Where do you see where where we're at right now? Are there things we need to fix? Are there things that are going great? Uh, what's your take on all that? Loaded question, that, right? Yes. Because <laughs> uh, there's multiple parts to this, but I think one of the things is I think we're kind of at a crossroads right now. In one sense, there are those who'd like to see us add to the profession by adding the mid-level practitioner. Um, but at the same time, we are at risk of losing a lot of veterinary technicians to other professions. Um, it's sad that the average lifespan of veterinary technician, I think you mentioned earlier, is probably five to six years. And mm -hmm. that really saddens me. So my concern is, will there be veterinary technicians to be able to fill the general positions that we have, let alone the mid-level positions, if we don't stop the exodus of veterinary technicians? So I kind of think at this point, we really need to look at what are the problems that we're facing right now and address those problems and, and those obstacles and move on from there. And, and what do you see maybe, I mean, I think we probably all know like what a lot of the obstacles are, but what do you see as maybe being the biggest one that, again, multi-layered, multi-factorial, but if you could wave a magic wand and fix one, is there is there one that stands out to you more? Yeah, I mean, I have, a, I, w I can tell you, I have a problem list of about six things, but I think if <laughs> I, if I were to have to pick one, I'd probably just say um, the lack of uniformity of the profession from state to state. I mean, if you look at it, we have different professional titles, RBT, CBT, LVT. Um, some people are using veterinary nurse. I think there's also barriers to uh, licensure in that it's hard to move from state to state. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. If you or your partner had to move to state to another state for, because of another job, it's kind of hard for a technician to move unless you take 
the exam in that state to become licensed. So it'd be nice if there's a uniformity in that. And I think also well, there's no uniformity in the scope of practice. You know, what we can do in California is different than what you can do to Indiana, which is different than what you might be able to do in New Jersey or wherever. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's issues with scope of practice. I think the other part of it, too, is just we don't have proper title protection. It's inconsistent. It's not that we don't have it. It's inconsistent. Some states protect the title RVT or the credential veterinary technician. Some states don't. Some states, some states just protect their initials like CBT, RVT, LVT. Some states do that as well as title protect veterinary technician. And I think it's mm -hmm. important to really delineate what the roles are and who can perform those roles. And then if people are not adhering to that, then we have to provide a safe haven for people to be able to report that so that those states that do have title protection can address it. Gotcha. Yeah. And I noticed you, you didn't mention the money, which I think a lot of professions <laughs> or a lot of technicians would probably put that at, at towards the top of their list. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like that's a big problem too, or is that just made it down to fourth? <laughs> No, I mean, I think that's a problem. Like I say, it's multifactorial. I mean, if that, if that gave me my problem list, I'd say lack of uniformity, lack of recognition, poor utilization, poor pay, unhealthy work environments, and lack of growth opportunities. Mm. Those yeah. are the type of things I would think. And so for the sake of being brief, I didn't go into my full list. But <laughs> pay, pay is on there. But I think if we were to increase utilization, which I think some of the things I talked about in terms of unifying we could increase utilization and learn how to utilize technicians effectively mm -hmm. um, and efficiently, then I think the pay would come along. I think the pay, that, yeah. Yeah. ultimately what we have to do is we have to increase the revenue and the practices so that the pay can raise for technicians and veterinarians for that matter too. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk about AVECT in a little bit, or actually back when you were involved with it, it was just AVECT. Um, so how did the discussion to create AVECT and start? Like, was there was there something that you said, hey, we need to unify all these ECC techs and, and, and make a society? Or or was it a little bit more simplified than that? It's something along those lines. Um, actually, it started, I think it was probably about 1990. I was coming back from a conference with a friend of mine, Craig Cornell. He was an anesthesia technician at UC Davis. And, you know, after you go to a conference, how inspired you feel, oh, yeah, and just yeah. motivated mm -hmm. and just jazzed. Yeah. Well, that's kind of where we were in that post-conference euphoria. And at the same time, in the preceding year or two, the American College of Anti-Emergency Critical Care had been founded. And I was thinking, God, wouldn't it be cool if we had a specialty for technicians? Hmm. And so in a home, long drive home, that's all we kind of talked about. And we started brainstorming. And we thought, you know, we've got to look into this. And so uh, I actually approached Dr. Gary Stamp. He was executive director of VEX at the time and told him about the idea that we had. He thought that was a great idea and mentioned it to the board of VEX and they thought it was a great idea. And so that year at IVEX, we were still talking about it and got together with some technicians from Colorado State and just kind of brainstormed and uh, it kind of took off from there. Yeah, I, I was going to ask kind of as a follow-up in the in the pre-social media world when you couldn't just you know <laughs> put it in a Facebook group like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Is anybody interested in in, you know, joining this movement or, or starting this thing, I was curious how, you know, especially to pre-Zoom and, and pre -computer Microsoft almost. Teams and all that. <laughs> yeah, like how how you actually could get together and, and keep the momentum of this idea moving forward and actually put it into practice. Yeah, that's... Well, it was, it's kind of funny. It went in two-year increments because in 1990, we got together at IVEX, talked to a few techs Colorado State. 1992, by then... We actually held a meeting at IVEX and just introduced the idea to the technicians in attendance. We held a special meeting one evening and said, hey, this is what we're thinking about. We have the support of the VEX board. What do you guys think? And people were quite interested in it. And so uh, that kind of gave us the momentum to go further. And so over the next two years, we did surveys of the technicians, again, to find out about the interest and what they thought qualifications ought to be. But to make a long story short, we utilized IVEX roughly every two years because IVEX is only held every two years at that time. Right. So we would come back and report at IVEX. That kind of kept the momentum going. But we also had this new thing that developed about that time. It's something called uh, email. <laughs> 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 and so in terms of 
the group of people I kind of worked with and the charters and things like that, we used a lot of email. It's kind of funny. It was kind of a little challenging at first to a few people, but we really utilized it quite effectively. So we used things like email. Um, we used Vin. Vin actually provided the chat room for us. And so we utilized the chat room to get together and meet. And actually, that's how we developed the first exam, by having chat meetings on Vin. That was a form of communication. Wow. We used the technician journals that were available to us. Vex had life, a newsletter called The Lifeline. And so these were all avenues that we utilized to kind of keep the word out and the momentum going. And again, every two years, we were reporting back at IVEX. Prior to the creation of a VTS, what was the... What was the career path like for uh, an AHT or a veterinary technician? Was there, you got your credentials and then that was it? Or was there, was there options for anything else? Uh, by and large, it was primarily, you know, clinical practice. I mean, there's those who went into research. There were those in university, but it was most oftentimes clinical practice. Hmm. And and even still, I think it's kind of tough You you know, in practice settings. And there's not much of a career path once you enter practice. You might specialize in a particular area. But in terms of advancement, I think it's kind of hard to advance. And I think career ladders are probably needed within practices to help mm-hmm. people advance and explore ways to grow. Because I think it's one of the problems. People don't have the opportunity to grow. They stagnate and they aren't happy and they're not fulfilled. And so um, and they leave. They leave. Yeah. They leave and find yeah find something else. Absolutely. You know, you talked about the the support that you had with this idea from from. Gary Stamp from the the Vex board, all of that. Was there any resistance to it? Did you were there any naysayers? Were there any people that thought technicians shouldn't have this idea of being specialized? Did you encounter much of that? You don't have to name names or anything. I'm just wondering if because I, I can see, especially in in some of the the problems that we face as technicians, I can see that being a problem. Actually, I have to say, there was some resistance, not a lot. I mean, by and large, there was a great support, especially in the emergency critical care arena. I mean, the VEX board embraced it, the ACVEC board embraced it. And so emergency critical care veterinarians, not much of a problem. It's kind of funny because the AVMA, in the AVMA journal, they had a section called Practitioner's Exchange. And in one issue, they had stated that ACVEC and NAFTA were looking at specialty boards for technicians as a way and means to recognize advanced proficiency. They also kind of stated that there was an objective. The objective would be to enhance technicians' prestige and remuneration consistent with the contribution to greater efficiency of veterinary practice. Well, that was the setup. And the question was, does this impress you as a good idea? Mm. Well, they received a few letters and there were some funny things that, well, I think they were funny, but uh, maybe they weren't. But some of the responses include things like, uh, no need for this. Mm. I teach my technicians how to perform XYZ procedure. This is just a means to increase cost to veterinarians. Another person said, advanced board for technicians? What's this profession coming to? Uh, would love to see the look on their face with the the um, the mid level credential yeah, right. discussion. Yeah. <laughs> and someone else said, "Why would a tech- general practice want a technician who's advanced, trained, and and certified in fluid therapy, anesthesiology, or or clinical pathology?" Which I think is kind of cool. Not that, that we have advanced certification in fluid therapy, but you know, internal medicine, anesthesia, fluid, you know, critical care, we use a lot. But we do have mm-hmm. a specialty. Academy in anesthesia, anesthesiology or anesthesia, and we have a specialty academy in clinical pathology. Right. And other thing that was kind of interesting, one person said, if veterinary extenders are required, who's going to teach a veterinarian how to use them effectively? And I think that's a problem we still have today. Yeah, we still <laughs> yeah, have that problem. That's, that, wow. That is a question that has Nail not been answered. Yeah. Yeah, that <laughs> I wonder where that, that I'm assuming veterinarian. I'm wondering where veterinarian. that veterinarian is today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wow. Mm. So, I, yes, I, I mean, because I, I, I could conceivably see that there was some resistance to it. And, and that, those were kind of my thoughts that people would have as arguments against it as well. So I was just curious whether or not that actually existed then. Is, is, is it still kind of does today and really any advancement? And so, yeah, yeah. That makes and a lot I of also sense. wondered, like, you know, in 20 years, you know, we're having this these conversations about the mid-level practitioner. Are we going to be having these same thoughts uh, of like looking back, like looking back on on the VTS mm-hmm. advancement? Some people thought it was kind of silly, and why why would we do this? And and it kind of echoes what we're thinking about the middle level practitioner right now. Is we're 
What are we doing with the technicians that we have? How are we having this mid-level, this other thing that's going on? And who knows? Maybe in 20 years, we're going to be having the same conversation of why did people think this was a bad idea? Yeah, yeah I think by and large, it's great. I think it's a great idea. But also, yeah. again, I do believe we really need to take care of the issues that we have now. Oh, yeah. This, this profession is so fragmented as it yeah. is that you're adding now another layer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That, absolutely. I, I, that furthers the fragmentation. So, yeah, right. I, I think, yeah, we've talked about, you know, it's a great long range goal, but there's a lot of steps we need to get in order before we, before we get to that point. But maybe, maybe that's something that is an impetus to help get some of those things in order. I, who knows, but. Well, it's yeah. almost similar to like some of the students that I had teaching veterinary technicians where, you know, I had a few students tell me that they wanted to get a VTS in this. I'm like, okay, let's get our RVT first and, you know, stay in the field for a little bit. And then it's great to have those lofty goals, but there's a stepwise fashion that you have to go through. Let's crawl before we walk. Yeah, there is a stepwise fashion, but it's kind of great that they're looking down the road. Mm -hmm. And it's that enthusiasm that you want to see maintained because if you can Mm -hmm. maintain that, hopefully they'll stay in the profession longer than six years. Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. So at that time where, where AVECT, AVECT, I guess at the time, was, was becoming to be, what were some of the first requirements that, that you had for academy members that may be different from some of the ones from today? Do you remember some of those initial? Yeah, quite honestly, it's not, it's not much different at all. Mm. It's essentially the same as it was as we laid it out. So I'd like to think that we did a pretty decent job of laying it out. I think the most important thing, and I have to say we did it at the beginning too, but the most important thing is... Um, actually, NAFTA's CVTS requires that academies complete a job analysis or role delineation study. And the purpose of that is it's to look to see if there have been any significant changes in the profession. And if so, then you want to adjust your exam and perhaps your skills list for that. And so we actually did that at the outset. We did a role delineation study. So that helped us develop our skills list, but it also helped set the blueprint for the examination. Now, people in that profession seem to think that you should do a role donation study roughly every five years or when there's been significant change in the profession. So even though I think our requirements have been the same with maybe some minor tweaking, I think the fact that we do the role donation study that helps address issues or changes in the profession is what's really important. So I think that's the major thing. Now, what has changed is the way that we do the credentialing process. I mean, if you can imagine, we were requiring at the time, we talk about early period, people would have to submit three copies of their application. <laughs> I had and to do usually, that. <laughs> it usually was a big binder yeah. that was mailed to us because that was the way that we evaluated. We split up people and we'd have to mail binders back and forth to different people to evaluate the credentials. Well, now it's online, at least with AVECT, and it's a part A and part B. You know, part A, they kind of look at the work history, the your licensure, your education. And assuming you pass part A, then you move on to part B, which is your case reports and case logs and skill sheets. So that's the biggest change, I think. But in terms of requirements, it's maybe some minor tweaking here and there, but it's basically the same. I, I think I think we've added like skills here and there. Yeah. yeah but not, yeah. nothing major. Yeah. And that's yeah. probably based upon a job analysis or role delineation that helps you change the skills list. And so, gotcha. So, but by and large, like I say, it's basically the same. We had the skills list at the outset. The skills probably changed, but, oh, I guess the other thing that's changed too is now you require um, photographs of people performing mm-hmm. procedures. They and that's, that a, that's a very recent change. That was yeah. in the last, last year and a half, two years. Last couple yeah. of years, yeah. Well, before we get too involved, why don't we take a little quick ad break here and we'll be back after the break. The Vet Tech Cafe is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line and it's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online that's more affordable than traditional in-person therapy and financial aid is available. Caffeinators receive 10% off the first month using BetterHelp.com slash VetTechCafe. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, to join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. Don't take our word for it. 
Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily at betterhelp.com slash reviews. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash reviews. If you want to take charge of your mental health, visit betterhelp.com slash vettechcafe and get started today and get 10% off your first month. Be well, caffeinators. All right, and we're back, everybody. Thank you for enduring our ads so we can pay some bills. Uh, so, Harold, <laughs> thinking about mental health, uh, we, we, we deal with mental health a lot on this on this podcast. How do you manage your mental health? I know you're you're doing a lot. You're, you're quote-unquote retired, but you're, you're still involved in a lot of things. How do you get away from veterinary medicine and, and manage your mental health? That's a t- actually it's kind of a tough one. I do a lot of traveling, but my traveling is oftentimes related to... <laughs> it's for work, yeah. <laughs> for work, <laughs> But, I mean, I get to go to some fun places. And so while I'm there, I step back and I like to get my lectures out of the way at the beginning so that I have time to just step back and relax. Like a couple weeks ago, I was in Lima, Peru. And so I got a chance to do some sightseeing and relax there. But for me, photography has always been a lifelong hobby. And so if I can get out and take photographs and do do those types of things, so travel, photography, and then... uh, Getting out and taking early morning walks. Mm-hmm. I like to go for walks about dawn. I like to see the sun come up. And at that point, just see the geese that are in my neighborhood take off wherever they go during the day. <laughs> and <laughs> they, they take off. And I just enjoy that. And that's when I get a lot of thinking and just some downtime. Have you ever experienced any like mental health issues over your career? I, I, I know Probably all of us have, have experienced some form of burnout in, at some point in our careers. Have you ever had to deal with anything like that? Yeah, nothing major, but, you know, like everyone else, I do have my down periods. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just, you're just, it's just down, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. I've been fortunate enough where I can overcome it, but uh, nothing really major, no. That's good. Gotcha. That's great. Gotcha. So you're also a, a charter member for AVTAA, mm-hmm. um, the make sure I get this right. The Academy of Veterinary Technicians for Anesthesia and Analgesia, right. I think. Yep. So I, I'm curious, A, when that process started, because if I know AVECT was first, and I don't know if AVTAA was, was the next academy to, to come into fruition or something else came up in between. But I'm curious what you learned from AVECT that you applied to AVTAA. Was the process any different? And, and how that, after you know some momentum with AVECT, how did you roll that into AVTAA. Yeah, AVTAA came along second. It was AVTAA, then okay. dentistry, then internal medicine. Um, okay. AVTAA, we used, and I think a lot of academies have used AVECT as the roadmap. You'll look at a lot of requirements for different groups and you'll see that there are a lot of elements that are going to be similar to what we've done with AVECTIN. And that's what we certainly did with AVTAA. They came along about two years after we did. And we pretty much followed the roadmap. The constitution of bylaws are quite similar at the time. The idea of a skills list, those types of things were very similar. And, and again, there was also a little resistance there for them as well uh, with regards to, I think anesthesiologists were a little bit skeptical of a group of technician anesthetists coming along, but mm-hmm. uh, there's a great relationship now. And so it, it uh, it's been pretty good. Got it. And then where in that process, because... You know, I know NAVTA through different iterations has been around for a while. So, did you have to coordinate with NAVTA? I, like I know you do now. If you're gonna, if an, a new academy is gonna start, that has to go through the the NAVTA CVTS. But did that part of the process exist then, or did that come after the fact? Uh, it, it, it did exist. I think we kind of came along together. Mm. We came up with our idea of what we wanted to do early on. We sent a letter. Actually, to step step back from a moment, one of the board members for Vex actually took a proposal that we had given to VEX to look at. He took our proposal to the AVMA and shared it with the AVMA. And the AVMA more or less kind of gave us their blessing, but they said, this should really come under NAFTA. So we'd hmm. send a letter of intent to NAFTA, what we were looking to do. And so I think around the same time, they were looking at forming a committee on veterinary technician specialties. And so they actually produced a policy and procedures, which we followed. There's certain information that they required us to submit. And we did that. We put together basically a petition to NAFTA. And because we were the first, we kind of worked together in trying to hammer out some of the issues. And uh, in 1996, they gave us provisional recognition. So 25 years this year. Yep. Wow. 
Wow. And could you have ever imagined then that there would be, I think, of what, 17 academies now? Yeah, if I'm not I think it's 17, yeah. Mistaken? Yeah, 16 or 17, yeah. 16 or 17. But could you have imagined then that so many specialties would now have their their own? No, I, I didn't. I mean, there's some I thought would certainly are natural, but some natural fit. There's some I had not imagined. I mean, as of a year ago this month, we had about 1,300 VTS worldwide with emergency critical care, I'm proud to say, has <laughs> had, had like 545 of them. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah. you know, emergency critical care is very, uh, you know, very large. Yeah. But no, I, no, I could I couldn't imagine that, no. Yeah, I do love the way it's, it's also, though, permeated some of the other parts of the profession. Like there's large animal specialties, the zoo medicine, mm-hmm. really, in, you know, more broadly encompassing so many other aspects of, of being a veterinary technician, too. I, yeah. I I love that those other specialties exist, yeah, too. Yeah, research, too, and research anesthesia. Research, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, great yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and some of them that, that I've seen, I was like, really, there's enough to, like, specialize in something like that. But then you kind of look at what their application process is and their their skills list and you're like oh i didn't realize we had to know how to do like even with cardiology i was like what do you need to do for cardiology other than be able to read ecgs but you know as as we talked to ed durham he was like oh no i do i do like i do the echoes and and do all these other things it was it was amazing to me that you know until you look into it you don't realize how much is involved in some of these specialties yeah that's one of my concerns though with some of the specialty groups because they actually have small numbers and one thing is you want them to be able to be self-sufficient and Mm self-sustaining and that's always a concern uh, when you have such small numbers but um they're plugging away uh so what kind of advice would you give to somebody you know obviously jeff and i have both been through the ecc process uh, but what kind of advice would you give to somebody trying to obtain their vts in either one of these credentials first of all i tell people pick a specialty that piques your and holds your interest and sometimes i'll see people say well i want to be in a work care i want to do anesthesia i want to do you know surgery it's like Pick one. Yeah. <laughs> Can't specialize in three things? No. And I, I mean, if you have 10 years of your profession to give away, I guess you could. Yeah. Uh, actually, that's probably one difference. It wasn't until after us, the emergency critical care group, that NAFTA put in a requirement that you had to spend 75% of your time in that specialty. Mm-hmm. AVEC didn't, doesn't have that. I don't, I don't think that's been added. But uh, that came in after us. And that was one of the things about wanting to be first. We want to be first because if there's going to be mistakes made, it happened with us, and they would correct them after the fact. <laughs> <laughs> it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. <laughs> you know, you, you answered earlier what you thought would be one, if you could make one change to the veterinary technician profession. I'm curious if there's one thing that, that has already happened throughout your career that you feel like is one major change that really reset the course or set us down a new path is there anything that you can think of that that was that one big thing that you've seen that was like wow that's a big deal besides email <laughs> <laughs> well if you don't mind me just go back to the advice thing there's a couple other things too just oh yeah just make sure you surround and support yourself surround yourself with people who are going to support you mm-hmm. i think that's pretty important if you are seeing cases and studying the subject and you're not quite 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 clear of the concept Rather than asking for an explanation from somebody, try explaining it to them. And hmm. especially if you explain it to the doctor or explain it to another technician. And this puts them in a position of being able to assess your understanding hmm. and see what your thought process is. And then they can hopefully clarify or fill in the gaps. And I think that's kind of how I approach teaching with veterinary students. They ask me the question, and I flip the question back on them and pull the information out. They had it there. They just need to help an organization. Hmm. So, huh. so those are some things I would advise people who um, are seeking the producing process. Yeah, I like that idea. Oh, and I used to do that, but in, when I was doing it, it was more because I was just like spitting out the information so that it would I would hear it in my ears, <laughs> not actually using it as a as a as a way to study for it. It was just more me spouting this out, and usually my my fellow technicians are like, "Okay, all right, that's good, thank you." <laughs> Okay, so getting back to your other question about the biggest change, you're going to ask a person who's been in a profession 45 years plus <laughs> to pick one thing? Really? <laughs> okay, well, top, name a top five. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Give, give us a few on that list. No. We've got a little bit of time. <laughs> no, basically, I'll just say I've seen anesthetics come and go. The fact that we use multi-parameter monitoring equipment today, 
We routinely take blood pressure, which was not done back in the day. Oh, gosh. The shift from male-dominated profession to a female-dominated profession. And then imaging. I mean, when I first started, imaging was simply um, taking radiographs. If you had a rigid endoscopes or maybe fluoroscopy, you know, that's what you had. Now, the fact that we have flexible scopes, ultrasound, CT, MRI. And then also, when I started, we were using wet tanks for processing X-ray yeah, film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I, died and went, I think I died and went to heaven when we got an automatic processor. <laughs> and now we have digital. And you still had to change out the fluid in those automatic processors. Yeah, but at least they came out dry. You yeah, were trying to true, hold them up true. to an x-ray box. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, so, and then now we have digital. Yeah. But I guess if I had to say one thing, I'd really say it would be the formation of veterinary technician specialty academies. Mm-hmm. I mean, the yeah. fact that we started with emergency care, soon followed by anesthesia and then internal medicine. And now having 16 specialties and over 1,300 uh, specialty academy members, I think that's the biggest change. Yeah, I think we're still under. I think we're still underutilized. Yeah. But, uh, oh, sure. But it also, it gives technicians a, a I want to say a career path, but career aspirations of. Sure. Yeah. Here's something else you can do. And yeah. that, that's the yeah. reason why we did it. We ideally we kind of thought pay would be nice. You want more <laughs> pay, but you want to give people something to reach for Mm -hmm. and the knowledge that you gain by going through the process. And you guys both know it, that can't be taken away from you. Right. Right. And I saw many people who would come out of the exam saying, Oh man, I failed the exam. It's like, no, you're, you're probably feeling normal. (laughs) Everybody (laughs) everybody comes out feeling that everybody does. Yeah. And just think of what you gained in terms of knowledge, your ability to hunker down and work on a goal that can't be taken away from you. And if you pass exam, that's icing on you know, mm-hmm. on the cake. And so right. I think the academies have done what Craig and I dreamed of it doing for us. Yeah, that's. I, I think that's a big one. Like uh, we we lose sight of that, especially you know if you don't pass whatever board exam you're you're taking, you lose sight of of what you gained in the process, mm-hmm. both knowledge base, skill wise especially nowadays too, in in terms of the camaraderie, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the relationships that you gain studying and going through the application process. It's where Dave and I met. Mm -hmm. There are so many layers to that that are positives that, like you said, the exam is really just the the final box check. It really is. When I I gave a talk at IVEX this year on the VTS path and, you know, I ended it with saying, regardless of passing or failing this exam, you're going to be 100% a better technician just going through the process exactly than, than you were before you started exactly yeah 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 that's really the point well harold as we as we begin to wrap up one of the questions we ask everybody uh the last several episodes is is now kind of having been through this process and yourself and, and knowing what our interview format is like is there somebody you think we should put in your seat to interview next or a, a topic um, that you would like us to to cover on the Vet Tech Cafe? Yes. Gar- Garnetta Santiago. Um, she's okay. a veterinary technician who works with Zoetis. I think the topic she could discuss is diversity. Oh, you know, she's, okay. She's, she's, licensed, she's a licensed veterinary technician in New York. And um, you know, she's done the clinical practice, but she's worked for Hills, and she's also currently working for Zoetis. But she does a lot of lecturing on, on um, diversity. Um, okay. She's going to actually be one of the keynote speakers at the AVMA conference in January, their leadership conference or their annual meeting, whatever that is that they have in January in Chicago. Mm. So, okay. I would recommend Garnetta for sure. Fantastic. That's Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, we, we have, we've had at least one, maybe, well, I guess we had, we had a couple episodes on diversity, um, but it, it's definitely yeah. something we can always talk to somebody we try else. To, yeah. yeah. We, we try to. In a, integrate and it's yeah that that would be a great discussion yeah. thank you very yeah, much we'll, we'll sure reach out to her uh all right harold so now it is time for your would you rather question are you ready for it <laughs> from ken okay all right yeah and, and 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 yeah and the assist goes to ken yagi on this one <laughs> we don't come up with them all ourselves sometimes we reach out and say hey yeah what can we do here all right so this is going to be an ivex question would you rather be a part of a flash mob or perform in a talent show at IVEX? Oh, my God. <laughs> I, 
I don't even see Ken doing either one of those. <laughs> well, see, that was the thing was he said his his answer to any time he's asked about a question like that is if you can get Harold to do it, I will do it. So, <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of that's, that's kind of the going. inside that's, <laughs> that's kind of the inside track there. <laughs> yeah, that's about where I'm going. I guess again, so, so we'll was, allow you to put put Ken in in either one of these with yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, so assuming Ken is doing either one of those, which would you choose? Okay, Splash Mob. Splash Mob? Splash Mob. Because yeah. there's other people? Get, get lost, get lost, get in, the lost crowd. in the crowd. Get, get lost in the crowd. I, I can just picture you and Ken like on a stage, like sitting on your like bar stools, both playing guitar, yeah. singing a song. Yeah, no. <laughs> singing a duet. <laughs> now that I would pay money for. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Oh. Well, Harold, thank you so much for for your time today. Before we wrap up here, I just want to ask, is there anything about, you know, the formation of academies or the veterinary technician profession that we didn't cover today that you want to, you know, get out to our listeners before we we wrap up? I think I think we've we've kind of covered it. I mean, I'm I'm pretty glad to get get the history out for AVEC. And I encourage people if they want to see the full history of AVEC, go to the AVEC website. It's on there. Yeah, Yeah, the whole story is on there. Fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. Cool. Well, again, thank you so much for your time today, Harold, and for taking taking the time to, to chat with us about all of this. Like I said, we you were one of the very first guests we had on our list, and, and it's, it's a shame it's taken us this long to get to it. But, um, but yeah. thank you very much for your time and, and for uh, talking to us about all of this, because obviously Avectin is near and dear to our hearts. So to like hear how all that came, came to be is, is really cool for us. Sure. It's my pleasure. I've had a great time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Harold. All right. You're welcome. All right, Caffeinators, you guys take care, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye, guys. Hello, Caffeinators. We wanted to thank Dog Days Consulting for managing our social media and helping with the interior design here at the Vet Tech Cafe. They don't just do social media. They can help you identify your brand through brand coaching. The founder is a CVPM with 15 years experience in veterinary practice management. They are a small business proudly serving the veterinary community, and we are thrilled to be working with them. Check them out at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. Hey, caffeinators. We would like to thank you for listening to the Vet Tech Cafe podcast today. As everybody is well aware by now, we often talk about difficult issues that face our profession. In addition, we chat with colleagues and leaders in our field who have strong opinions of these issues. Those opinions expressed by either Dave or Jeff as the hosts, or those opinions expressed by our guests, are their opinions alone and do not represent any other person, business, institution, or any other entity inside or outside of the scope of veterinary medicine. If you have any questions relating to this, please email us at vettechcafe at gmail.com or visit our website www.vettechcafe.com. Lastly, whatever platform you utilize to hear our dulcet tones, please rate and review our podcast and like and follow our Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn pages as well to see what we're up to. From all of us at the Vet Tech Cafe, have yourself a great day.